peak pumps, you're going to be colder. Your energy is going to be much more expensive. Your energy will probably be rationed. That's what smart meters are all about. Uh, you won't be able to go where you want to because most people won't be able to afford a car. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Lois Parry, a broadcaster and director of Car26, an organisation that campaigns for informed analysis of climate issues. She questions why huge government subsidies of hundreds of millions of pounds have failed to produce a stable supply of renewable energy and have even driven gas prices higher. We campaign against um, crazy net zero policies, especially when they're impoverishing normal people. Well, they're always impoverishing normal people. Uh, we campaign in favour of energy independence, energy security. We're here to represent normal people and also to encourage debate around the whole net zero argument. Lois warns the UK's pursuit of a green industrial revolution will drastically change life as we know it. When did anyone vote for this stuff? It's, um, it's absolutely ludicrous and it's all been done without a debate. No debate whatsoever. And I believe, personally, it's part of a much bigger and broader agenda, which is all about control. I'm Lee Hall and this is British Thought Leaders. Lois Perry, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a bit about Car26 and what it hopes to achieve? Well, we set up Car26 around the time of COP26, and Car stands for Climate Analysis Reason. And then 26 was just a bit of a Mickey take, really, because we just thought COP26 was so ludicrous. I mean, the fact that it is number 26 is in itself ludicrous, but we campaign against um, crazy net zero policies, especially when they're impoverishing normal people. Well, they're always impoverishing normal people. Uh, we campaign in favour of energy independence, energy security. We're here to represent normal people and also to encourage debate around the whole net zero argument. I mean, no one is allowed to discuss uh, whether CO2 is actually causing global warming, climate change, whatever they've come up with this week, you know, extreme weather events. No one's allowed to talk about it. And the scientists that do try and talk about it are deplatformed and ridiculed. Even the scientists with Nobel Prizes, you know, uh, you've got people like Dr. Richard Linsden and, and people like that. Uh, Steve Coonan, completely acclaimed and respected physicist scientists who, as soon as they speak out against the CO2, what I consider to be a scam, are shut down. So yeah, we're here to put the other side of the argument. Brilliant. So obviously the big issue at the moment is net zero and the government's pushed towards it. Yeah, strange. I think, yeah, for, for the ordinary person, it's going to bring some pretty big changes in their lives, you know, their cars, their houses, their travel, even their spending. Yeah. Do you think the public understand quite how much of a change is, is coming? I don't think they understand, although I do think that recently there is more of an awakening towards an understanding of what it means. You know, when it's coming closer and closer, for example, the 2030, 2035 petrol and diesel vehicle motorbike uh, deadline where we won't be able to uh, drive, they won't be made anymore. How will that affect most people? Most people won't be able to afford an electric car. If they can afford an electric car, the range isn't very good. There's not enough places to plug them in. And guess what? They're not any greener. They're not any greener at all. It takes more CO2, if you believe in that kind of thing, to produce an electric car. The batteries are um, made using minerals that are mined in, in Africa using child slaves. So, yeah, I mean, heat pumps, you're going to be colder. 
your energy is going to be much more expensive. Your energy will probably be rationed. That's what smart meters are all about. Uh, you won't be able to go where you want to because most people won't be able to afford a car. And using net zero as an excuse, you've got 15 minute cities, you've got restrictions, you've got congestion charges, you've got ULEs. You've got a situation in Oxford and Canterbury where you'll only be allowed to leave your zone, how dystopian does that sound, for 100 times a year. And that's if you get permission from the council. When did anyone vote for this stuff? It's, um, it's absolutely ludicrous and it's all been done without a debate. No debate whatsoever. And I believe, personally, it's part of a much bigger and broader agenda, which is all about control. But you mentioned uh, nobody voted for it. No, they didn't. Doesn't something that has such massive consequences deserve some kind of referendum? Well, yeah. So at CAR26, we actually called for a referendum around the time of COP26, and we did some YouGov polling, which showed even then, was that about 18 months ago, with all the propaganda and all the mainstream media throwing everything that they had at it, still 58% of those who expressed an opinion in CAR26 YouGov polling wanted a net zero referendum. And we did the poll again recently, and that was 62% it had gone up to. So people do want a referendum because they mm. haven't been presented with any choice. All of the major parties have signed up to it. It's even enshrined in international law. I've been, been doing some research recently and on our withdrawal agreement from the European Union, it was enshrined in international law that we are that we stick to all of our environmental and climate change net zero commitments from beforehand. So we're in a bit of a funny situation now where the EU could possibly change their mind, like, for example, with the 2030-2035 petrol and diesel ban, mm. and also reclassify fracking or whatever as a green thing, and we're stuck with what was going on before. I mean, you couldn't make it up. Uh, Theresa May actually enshrined it into law as well, the 2050 target, which would mean that all of the major political parties would have to agree to overturn it. They're not going to do that, and that's why the public are angry. They might have voted... They say, oh, they voted for net zero policies. They were given no choice. Um, and people didn't realise, like you said before, what it would actually mean to them. Mm. No driving, being cold, not being able to afford the essentials. When you've got expensive energy, it doesn't need to be expensive, by the way, because we've got so much plentiful fossil fuels available. It's unbelievable. When you have expensive energy, everything goes up. Absolutely everything. I don't know if you've seen on the adverts recently on the television. I was shocked. Uh, Nescafe, £8. When was it normal to pay £8 for a jar of Nescafe? If I spent £8 on coffee, it was a really expensive coffee. It wasn't a jar of Nescafe. Everything's gone up because the cost of transportation goes up. Yeah. You mentioned the cost of living crisis. Totally fabricated. We we're told that the um, renewable energies are the answer to <laughs> our energy needs. Do you, do you agree with that? If renewable energy was so wonderful, it wouldn't need extraordinary subsidies and government handouts. You know, recently uh, when the energy prices have, have gone up and the renewable companies are having to give back the government the difference between the strike price and the actual market energy price, which was part of the deal that they originally did. It's called cost for difference. That's right, cost for difference contracts. They don't want to. So when it actually gets real and they actually have to start, you know, not taking subsidies, but giving money back to the government, they won't do it. And the irony, the irony is that the, the reason why energy prices go up as high as they do is because 
we are duty bound by law to actually take any energy that's produced by wind and solar when it's available, which means we make our regular um, supply of gas intermittent, which means we destabilize the price, we push the price up. So you've got a bizarre situation where the fact that it's so rubbish means that it pushes the price of all energy up. It's absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, so no, it really isn't the answer. If you live in a hot country, and you only need the um, the heat, uh, you only need the energy for air conditioning, it's great mm. because you can use it straight away. But when we need our energy, it's when it's cold for heating mm. and you can't store it. You can't store it. And as I say, because there's a legal uh, responsibility for it to be taken onto the grid, it means it pushes the cost of all the electricity and gas up and everything. But before the Ukraine war, and um, it had actually gone up so much, it was unbelievable, hundreds of percent beforehand. So to blame everything on the Ukraine war, which is the government's go-to position for pretty much anything nowadays, is completely fake, completely disingenuous. You mentioned about the contracts there. So yeah. back to, say, 2017, mm -hmm. the wind farms were saying they would provide this really cheap energy. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of touted as the answer to our green energy problems. And now we get to this point and the prices they're charging are really high, yeah. um, despite being subsidised for billions of pounds. Well, at the beginning, they wanted to encourage people to come in and, and do this. They wanted right. to build the wind farms and everything. So they were offering a, a fee that for, for the energy that was much higher than, um, than the normal energy price. Right. But the idea would be that even though they were overpaying in the short term, that when it got to the other way round, that they would actually honour it back the other way. So if the price that they were making went above the strike price, that they would reimburse the government. That was the idea. But what they decided to do, they didn't want to do that. So they either refused to honour the contracts or they just switched the wind turbines off. Right. So they didn't have to do it. So it was OK. They were happy to do it when they were the ones that were benefiting from it. But as soon as there was, I don't know, payback, so to speak, it's unviable. I mean, the wind industry recently were in the newspapers saying that they couldn't actually, um, that it was unviable without subsidies. Now, if something's so great and so wonderful and so cheap, why do you need subsidies? Why can't it fly, fly or die? You know, like, ga uh, like the gas, oil, that, that actually generates income. The only money that are made for these cronies, and I imagine the civil servants who've handed out these preposterous contracts, is if they're getting government money. That's your money, that's my money. It's not proper money that's generated by the oil and gas industry. But having said that, I'm not affiliated to the oil and gas industry. I've been accused of it. I wish I was. But actually, you know, if they want to give me some money, that's great. But actually, the oil and gas industry, again, that's a that their whole thing is completely um, disingenuous as well because they're benefiting. We're not using any less gas. We're not using any less oil. It's just that it's much, much, much more expensive. So you've got an insane situation where the Getty family, who benefited obviously enormously from oil and gas and still do, you've got a situation where one of the members of their family is funding Just Stop Oil. But if you actually look at what Just Stop Oil wants, they are campaigning for no new oil and gas contracts. Who benefits from no new oil and gas yeah. contracts? The people who already have the oil and gas exploration are already making the money from it. I mean, I challenged a Just Stop Oil person on GB News recently about that, and he didn't deny it. 
And he said, oh, we'll take money from everyone. I mean, the irony, obviously, completely, completely lost on them. But so many of these things that are done in the name of the green agenda aren't green at all. The 20 mile an hour zones, for example, in London, they increase emissions. They increase emissions because you're driving more slowly. Right. If you have a ULEZ zone, you're going to have all of the cars that don't meet the standards. They're not going to scrap them. They're going to actually sell them outside of London to people in other parts of um, the UK. It doesn't make any sense. Another thing as well, the whole stuff about reducing our carbon emissions when we make up less than 1% of the world's overall mm. carbon emissions. The only reason we're able to do that is because in other countries, they're bit manufacturing all our stuff for us. You know, you've got all the wind turbines, for example, are being made in China using coal-fired power stations, you know, to make the electricity. They can't be recycled. We've got gas, that fracked gas in America, being liquefied and shipped over here in big ships using diesel. And then, but we won't frack. We've got wood chips coming over and being burnt in jacks, which used to be a coal-fired power station. Um, wood chips being brought over from America, which is in effect very young coal. Why aren't we using our own wood chips or our own coal? None of it makes any sense whatsoever. It's it's ludicrous. And we're like with all these things, you have to follow the money, mm -hmm. you know. So, for example, you've got this new mad project uh, that's being built at the moment, carbon capture. Now, I personally don't think CO2 causes any problems whatsoever. In fact, I think that we need more of it. But that's another. But even if you do, this is ludicrous. They're building a CO2 storage facility in the North Sea for it to be buried under the ground. I mean, you literally couldn't make I actually feel like Alice in Wonderland sometimes. It's absolute insanity. But you can tell that it's a money scam because you can actually pay £10 per tonne to actually offset CO2 in the um, in the third world. They plant trees. There's ways of doing it. It's about £10 a, a tonne. Guess what our government is paying these shysters? Am I allowed to say shysters? Yeah. <laughs> but these shysters to, um, you know, to bury it in the North Sea. Our government, that's, so that's you, that's me, that's the taxpayer, we're paying them £250 per tonne. So where's the other £240 going? Where's it going? <laughs> it is because it, they, they, they know it's nonsense. It's right. just a way of making money out of thin air. You know, I often say to friends of mine, it, these Machiavellian individuals, whether they exist or not, sitting around stroking their cats, looking very Bond villain-esque, um, villain-like, you know, they're literally laughing. They're saying, oh, my God, we're actually making money out of thin air, you know. Yeah. Because they are. They are making money out of thin air. The whole thing, as I say, follow the money. But these big um, unilateral organisations like um, the UN, EU, WHO, all of those organisations, they love climate change because they, they say, oh, there's no borders with climate change. So therefore, um, you know, we have to make decisions at an international level. It gives them more power. National governments love it because they can come up with reasons to tax people, just literally make up stuff, taxing, controlling. They love all of that. Big business like it because they can basically put little businesses out, out of business because they haven't got the uh, capacity and the facilities to be able to comply with all this mad net zero law and ESG stuff. And the media love it because what do they love more than anything in the world? 
doomsday yeah. predictions, catastrophizing. Yeah, everyone loves it. Everyone loves it, apart from ordinary people. That's one of the main reasons that we set up Card 26. Um, and um, if I can get a little plug in, if mm. I may. Um, the Card 26 Lois Perry YouTube channel has loads of all of my interviews and lots of exclusive content as well with scientists, physicists, people that are directly affected by the whole CO2 stuff as well. I recently did a series of interviews called Lois Goes North, where I spoke to Francis Egan, uh, uh, the CEO of Quadrilla, and, and other top people, including Lee Anderson and uh, Scott Benton, MP, and other people like that. So there's all those kind of interviews. I wanted to see how the, the fact that they were about to have fracking in the north and then it was taken away, how it affected people up there. I mean, they would a lot of those people would have had free energy at the moment. Instead, I spoke, I, I went to a, a soup kitchen where they have a lot of working people that go there as well as homeless people because they just can't afford they're literally making a choice between heat or eat but one of the saddest stories blackpool would have had 100 percent. everyone that lived in blackpool would have had free and free electricity no no ifs no buts if quadrilla had been allowed to, to carry on there i i spoke to one girl who uh her electricity ran out she had a very small baby she went and worked as a street prostitute that night to keep the electric on because otherwise the fridge would have gone off and obviously baby milk and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, when you've got these guys uh, and, and girls um, in Parliament making decisions about the planet, it really makes me angry because, number one, I think they're talking nonsense, but number two, you have real people, real people going out and having to do that so that their baby has, um, you know, has milk because mm. so there's electricity. It's... Uh, it, it's disgusting, yeah. actually. It really is. So what is the situation with fracking? Is it seems one moment it's on and then it's off and then it's on. And... Oh, well, the way that the industry were treated was absolutely disgusting. So you had both Rishi and Liz Truss in the hustings saying that they would bring back fracking. Yeah. And, um, and then obviously Liz Truss won and that was great. And the moratorium on fracking was lifted. And then as soon as uh, they de deposed her, and brought Rishi in. Um, he uh, he banned it again. Right. He completely, but which is, it is, it is madness. And we now know for a fact it's been widely support, uh, w widely reported in the Daily Mail and other publications that Putin funded a lot of the anti-fracking stuff that went on. Um, yep. You know, the first time round, I think it's about ten years ago, he funded all of that because. Putin does not want us being energy independent because he he, he loses all his clout, all mm. his leverage, doesn't he? Unless the pipeline blows up, but that's another story. Um, yeah, so the whole fracking thing. In America, an eighth, uh, they're paying an eighth for their electricity than we are in the States. And um, Liz Truss was recently, our former prime minister was recently in America and she did a speech to the Heritage uh, foundation is it the heritage foundation yeah and she spoke very much in favor of fracking saying it's madness that we're not fracking madness that americans are paying so much less madness that we're not energy uh independent and um she also talked out against a lot of this esg compliance stuff which is to do with diversity and net zero which companies are having to small companies can't deal with that and then you've got uh, funds for people with pensions are being invested by fund managers and it has to comply with ESG targets. I thought funds were about making money, not doing woke signalling. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I watched that interview and uh, her speech and thought, 
Oh, what a shame. I really did. She was great, actually, but she uh, she wasn't one of the club, no. was she? So now she's gone. But anyway. Now going back to something you touched on with the uh, car makers there. Yeah. So the next seven years, they're rationing the number of petrol and uh, diesel cars. And mm -hmm. 2030, we're looking at a full ban. Doesn't make any sense. Is it, it? is it achievable? No, it's completely and utterly unachievable. And as I said to you before, Brexit should have meant that we are free from all this nonsense. Instead, it seems like we're more in it because of the withdrawal agreement that we mm. signed than the rest of Europe. Germany have fought back. They're, they're, they basically got the EU to agree to, to move it or to, to look at... Um, other kind of fuels uh, to, you know, to try and keep the internal combustion engine going, but on a different basis. But then in Berlin recently, they moved the, um, they had a vote on, on moving 2030 to 2050 in terms of the ban and net zero um, targets and everything. And 80% voted in favour of delaying everything right. by 20 years. I mean, it, that was the only option on the ballot paper, but if the option had been scrapped, I'm sure it would have been 80% so, no, I mean, I've spoken to so many people who, who are in business and, for example, people that do deliveries, deliver equipment, electrical equipment. There's um, a guy that I know that called Derek Bates, who, uh, sorry, Derek Baker, who does um, filtration equipment. And he said that they can normally deliver a certain amount in a one day round trip, 285 miles um, and, you know, very few stops and everything. Mm -hmm. He said that the equivalent van... The same Mercedes van that he's got would only be able to take a third of the load, no trailer, and it's only got a range of 85 miles with the weight on, which means that um, he'd have to have a driver working for two or three days because of all the European time directives in terms of how long they're allowed to drive, etc., etc. He just wouldn't be able to afford to run his business. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't happen. So, and that would be if they found a charger that was a supercharger at the right point. I mean, what would be the chances of that? That at this point, you know, it's it business can't work. He supplies filtration equipment to the NHS, to the food industry, kidney dialysis, things like that. What's going to happen? It's not thought through at all. But if you actually look at the recent House of Lords report, which was about climate change and behavioural change, interestingly enough, reminds you of COVID, I bet, a little mm, bit about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it talks about just annoying people out of their cars, basically. The 20 mile an hour thing, it admits there's no basis whatsoever in terms of reducing accidents or reducing any kind of emissions at all. It's just to frustrate people out of their vehicles. And they want 20 to 30% less people driving in the next in the next five to ten years and there's no when did you and i vote for that mm. there was no vote on that was there that means that little things like being able to buy something online and go and pick it up or you've seen something and you want to pop it to your nans in the car or or, or just being a normal person not having to walk in the rain because you know or, or carry shopping back that's all they don't want that that's not what they want they want us all on public transport and you know all within the, there's a 15 minute zone agenda isn't there mm -hmm. that everything we need is within 15 minutes well they can do one i'm not having anyone decide what i need you know what i need might be very different to what you need or somebody else needs and all these shops that are shutting down now because they're within the ulo zone it's um it's really sad it really, really is. It's um, 
it's pretty scary as well because it's all about control i think that's at the heart of this definitely so um these issues like the the ulas the 15 minutes cities mm. etc do you think the people behind them are kind of mistaken green warriors or do you think there's something a bit more sinister going on well, I think the people who are coming up at an international level with these policies know what's going on. But I think that there is a huge amount of people that do genuinely believe that they will be helping to save the planet or, or whatever by following these policies. They're, I believe they're misguided, but I believe they're genuine in their beliefs. But no, the people at the top, the people um, who are making these international decisions, you know, it, it's no coincidence that you have a 15-minute city policy popping up in every country in every country in the world, every major city in the world. It's no coincidence that people are, you know, scrapping their cars or being told that their cars are going to have to be scrapped and petrol and diesel, not no, no new vehicles, all at the same time. It's happening on an on an international basis. But the thing is, if we don't have cars. If we have our digital IDs and we, everything's on our phones and money's on our phones and everything else, we are very controllable. We are very controllable, even not having cash. I mean, at the moment, you and I can pop in our petrol diesel car. We can, we can leave our phone at home. We could travel as far as we want and we could pay in cash in the shops and restaurants. No one has a clue where we are. No one knows what we've spent, where we've been, any of it that's going to be very different soon. Your smart car will be able to theoretically not let you leave your 15-minute zone if, you're, if, you, um, if you've gone past your uh, allocated amount of times you're allowed to go. Um, it might, if there was a lockdown, for example, it might just not start. Um, if I'd, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do when they bring in the whole digital idea, digital currency thing, because I'll be, I'll be bankrupted on day one with one of my tweets, because that's what's happening in China. This isn't just some dystopian, Orwellian, Adox Huxley thing. This is happening right now in China. You get a certain amount of points for being a good girl or boy. You get points deducted if you're not, and you can't spend your money how you want to. Now, the, the centralised currency that's coming in at the moment that's being brought in that nobody's voted for will mean that the government will be running it. There'll be no need for banks. It will be on your phone and it will be linked to your behaviour. Your employer will also be able to tell you what you can and cannot spend money on. And it will obviously be, look at Canada. You had all the truckers that came out. Just, you know, they were their right to protest. They were protesting against lockdown. You had little old ladies who were very sweetly and kindly bringing them out bacon sandwiches. Their bank accounts were frozen. The Canadian truckers' uh, bank accounts were frozen. People lost their homes. There were foreclosures going on um, all over the place. What we call in the UK repossessions, home repossessions, uh, because they couldn't access their money. The only people who were able to survive um, were people that had cash. But, you know, in America, for example, they're even trying to restrict, well, they're trying to get rid of cash everywhere, but they're even trying to restrict the buying and selling and owning of gold for normal US citizens at the moment as well. They want to get you whatever which way, you know, okay, so you're not going to use cash, you're going to use gold. No, we're going to restrict your right to own and use gold. It's, um, it is scary and it is part of an agenda. I don't believe that the powers that be that want to implement these policies have any other uh, base, there's any other basis at, at the heart of it, at the root of it, apart from control. I really do.
and everyone having the same. Although, as Orwell said, you know, we are all equal, but some of us are more equal than others. I don't think the people at the top making these uh, policy decisions are, um, are going to be not driving. I don't think they're going to be cold. I don't think they're not going to be travelling or, or, not, or not eating meat and dairy, which is the other big thing at the moment, because that causes climate change. Um, you know, so we, we can't have meat and dairy. But we've had two periods very recently which were much warmer than now. We've had the medieval warming period and we've had the roaming warming period. Interestingly enough, the IPCC, the uh, climate change report, um, that, that the big one that everyone refers to in Net Zero Fanatics, they originally put in the Roman warming period and the medieval warming period. But in recent times, they've taken it out because, of course, if you can show that when there were, there were no cars and planes and automobiles, that the um, that it was much warmer, and, and actually there was no problems at all with it being a little bit warmer. Then you know what is the point of all of this? They were growing grapes in Manchester in the Roman period. Now I don't know if you've ever been to Manchester, but it's not really renowned for its lovely, warm, clement weather. You know, so it's I think it's nonsense. But the scary thing is we're not allowed to debate it. Recently, though, we have had some debate. So we've had um, a Clintel declaration of 1,200 scientists, one of which, the main guy, was a Nobel Prize winner, saying that they thought that there was no correlation whatsoever between CO2 and rising temperatures or lowering temperatures or extreme weather or climate change or whatever they've come up with on that day. It's, um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. They were predicting an, an ice age. Now we're too hot. But then it's a bit inconvenient for them, an inconvenient truth, you might say. There hasn't been any warming at all for 10 years, none. And extreme weather events, um, there's no more uh, extreme weather events now than there's ever been. And in fact, deaths from extreme weather events are down, I think it's over 90% or 95% over the last 100 years. Because if we're wealthy, if we've got money and we are a thriving economy because of cheap and plentiful fossil fuels and energy, we can navigate against any issues that might come up, whether it's too hot or too cold or whatever. But you can't if we're sitting at home impoverished. I, I mean, you know, do they want us to go back to the dark ages, literally? I don't know. But then I said to somebody the other day uh, that people talk about their new feudalism. There's a new puritanism with all the woke stuff, but then there's a new feudalism. But I said, yeah, but in the feudal period, at least in that period, you were allowed to grow your own food and have a horse. <laughs> they produce CO2, don't they? So what are we going to be doing? We're going to be eating prepackaged foods that are delivered. A lot of your work goes very much against the mainstream green agenda. Yeah. I mean, do you feel the pressure sometimes of putting your head above a parapet? Um, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, I, I I, all I'm asking for is debate. And if you have a situation where they won't debate with you, then there can only be one reason. It's because they think that they might lose the argument. You know, the amount of times that my organisation has proposed to actually um, put on events where you have a scientist that has the same sort of beliefs that we do and can prove it as far, you know, we, we say to a, a climate type scientist, net zero loving scientist, please come on and debate. Even if you, um, you know, offer to make a, a charitable donation, they, they won't do it. And the reason they won't do it is because they know they'll lose. 
So um, this is the thing, isn't it? 97% of scientists agree, this, that and the other. Uh, a very good friend of mine, the Professor Brian Katz, he's a physicist and engineer. He, told, he actually told me how they worked it out. And basically what they did was they had a certain amount of papers that mentioned climate change. A computer worked out roughly um, what they were talking about. They weren't read by human beings. It was all sort of done by computer. So if they had climate change in the title of the paper, then what they did was they asked people whether they very much supported the idea of man-made climate change, broadly supported, not at all, no idea, or didn't at all. And if you actually take out what they did, because they then only put the people who had extreme views. So they kept in the people that were very much in agreement that, and, and, to, and, and also the people who, um, I, you know, we're at the other end of the scale. And actually the figure, when you take out all the bits and bobs, the don't knows or vague or whatever, it's 8%. 8% of scientists believed 100% that human beings were um, caused climate change. That's a very different figure. 8%, yeah, not 97, 8. And actually, if you go onto the Car 26 YouTube um, website, you will see that, um, that it explained by Professor Brian Catt uh, how they come up with this figure and it's all can be researched and everything it can all be looked at on the internet if people want to do their own research so yeah a very different figure but yeah I've had a lot of abuse thrown at me um I don't really like people having a go at how I look but I don't mind them having a go at what I say <laughs> unless it's complimentary of course and then they can say whatever they like <laughs> so yeah I um I'm really enjoying it actually I know I feel I'm fighting the good fight. I'm Christian, although that's irrelevant. And anyone who has any faith in, 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 in anything, you know, they would understand what I mean when I say I'm fighting the good fight because it sometimes seems that, you know, there's some quite dark stuff going on, you know, whether, whether people believe that that's spiritually dark or just immoral and wrong, you know, there's, some very sinister stuff going on at the moment and it all does seem to have some sort of connection. You know, we're having things stuffed down our throats all the time, uh, whether that be uh, disharmony being caused, I believe, deliberately between the races, uh, the ethnicities, um, people with sexualities, stuff like that. Uh, the sort of weird agenda at the moment, we're in, trying to introduce children to change their gender and, and stuff like that. And then we've got the climate stuff, which has become a cult-like religion in itself, but it's taken all the bad parts of religion and not kept any of the goods, you know? The whole death cult thing, the whole, the end is nigh. If you question it, you're a denier, you know? It's almost like, burn the witch, burn the witch. It's, um, it's, uh, it's very, very strange times we live in, Lee. But um, I'm trying to, I'm doing my best, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Where can people go if they want to find out more? Right, so um, I'd like it if everyone could subscribe to the Car26 Lois Perry YouTube channel. Please subscribe because there's lots of um, exclusive content. And, and also, if you want to go to www.car26.org, which is our website, and make a donation, large or small, we don't receive a penny from any large corporations or anything like that. We're completely reliant on the public's donations. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best, but... If any help that you can give Card26 would be much, much appreciated. Thank you. Nice, Perry. Thank you for joining us on British Star Leaders. Thank you for having me.